invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 4. I'll be reading verse 13 to the end of the chapter. Verses 23 to 25 will be our sermon text for this evening. So using a pew Bible that can be found on page 1119. Then after that, we will turn to Lord's Day 17 in the Forms and Prayers book. But for now, we turn to God's word and the reading of it. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave, God, gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. At this time I invite you to turn in the song and, or the forms and prayers book. Forms and prayers book, page 218. Question and answer 45. This Lord's Day speaks to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how the resurrection benefits believers. Congregation, I will ask the question. Please respond with the answer. Congregation, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are already raised to new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. Let's ask God uh, for his blessing in a time of prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. That you would open our hearts, that we may receive your word, believe your word, and walk in the confidence of faith. Walk in newness of life, knowing that you, O oh Lord, initiated salvation 
and accomplished it through Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening's sermon, congregation, is from a text of Scripture that really teaches the heart of the gospel. In fact, Martin Luther, the Reformer, said in these verses, the whole of Christianity is comprehended. In these verses, the whole of Christianity is comprehended. The title of the sermon is Jesus Obtained Righteousness for Us, or Jesus Acquired or Earned Righteousness for Us. And this is taken from the Catechism, Lord's Day 17, which explains the Bible's teaching concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the first part of that answer. That Jesus, in his resurrection, defeated death, and so that we may share in the righteousness that he obtained for us. And one of the texts of Scripture that teaches this biblical truth is our passage before us this evening, Romans chapter 4, particularly verse 25, but we're going to look at 23 to 25 this evening. We want to consider first what is meant by righteousness. Jesus obtained righteousness for us. You see, in verse 25, where it says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, that's the same word for righteousness. He was raised for our righteousness, our justification, or we can say for our acquittal. He was raised for our acquittal. The believer is acquitted of all charges set against him or her, all the charges laid against the sinner, because the law reveals uh, man's sin, And as we read in Scripture here, the law brings wrath. And the only way to receive God's grace, receive the promise, as we'll see later, is through the instrument of faith. In order to be made right with God, we need to be righteous before God. And the thing is, we cannot obtain this righteousness of our own. We cannot be our own lawyer in court. In court, some people have the right, or people have the right to represent themselves. You don't want to represent yourself before God. That's a bad place to be. No, someone else must must represent us. In Paul's letter. Righteousness has the meaning of divine pardon, divine acquittal. Such a condition of righteousness cannot be earned or obtained by human beings because we by nature are dead in sins and trespasses. We cannot make ourselves alive. We cannot be acquitted before God by our own works. We cannot represent ourselves before a holy God when we ourselves are unrighteous and sinful. And so Paul reminds his audience that God made a promise to Abraham. God said to Abraham that he will be a father of many nations, and through him and his offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the inheritance of God's promise rests upon God's grace and not man's works. 
It rests upon grace. And Abraham knew this. And concerning Abraham, Paul would say, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his what? Faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was acquitted before God, divinely approved by God, favored by God. It wasn't his obedience to sacrifice his own son or willingness to sacrifice his own son that made him right before God. No, it was his faith that made him right before God, that acquitted him before God. But notice what Paul says now in verse 23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for yours and mine. This righteousness that Paul speaks of, this divine acquittal or pardon, so that we may have peace with God, is preached to us as well. It is for us as well. It's not something that's just taught in the Old Testament and doesn't apply to us. No, it applies to us. Because the God that Abraham believed and it was accredited to him as righteousness is the same God that we believe, but we are on the other side of the cross and resurrection. The promise that was given to Abraham and the Old Testament saints came into fulfillment at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the offspring that is referred to in Genesis. He is the offspring. Because in Christ, we have the righteousness of God. He is our righteousness. He is the righteous one. That is, he is the morally pure one, the morally good one. And herein we have another meaning or definition of righteousness. That Jesus is perfect in all his ways. He is holy and blameless, righteous. He is good. And in order to Have our faith counted as righteousness for us, we must know the righteousness of Christ accredited to our account. Don't overlook the meaning of righteousness. Don't overlook it. Especially don't overlook the grounds of our righteousness. Jesus obtained righteousness for us. Jesus and his perfect work is the grounds for our righteousness. Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Ground number one, Jesus was delivered up or delivered over for our trespasses the Bible teaches that Jesus was delivered up, that he was delivered up 
by evil men, evil and lawless men. Jesus was delivered up by Judas and the Jewish religious leaders. He was delivered over to death by Pontius Pilate and the Romans. Jesus was delivered up. Though he had the power to lay down his own life, he was delivered up. But notice in verse 25, that he was not delivered up by the evil men or the religious leaders or by Pontius Pilate. Ultimately, he was delivered up by whom? By God. Acts chapter 2, in Peter's sermon, Peter preaches, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice the passive, Jesus was delivered up. Someone else delivered him up. Though he had the power to deliver or lay down his own life. No one fulfillment of the Father's perfect plan, he was delivered up. He was delivered up. This is the truth clearly prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 53. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him not, or esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and stricken and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord delivered up his own son. In verse 10 of Isaiah 53, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. He has put him to grief. Why did God deliver up his own son to death? For our trespasses. The word trespass here means misdeeds or a deviation from the truth. By nature, we are dead in sin and trespasses. And these trespasses have been nailed to the tree in Christ's body, bearing it in his soul. I read from Colossians chapter 2 this morning. He nailed it to the cross. All the trespasses and sins nailed to the cross. In Christ's body and soul. In Jesus who became for us a righteous sacrifice. Ground number two. Jesus was raised from the dead. Who raised him? Again, Jesus has the power to raise up his own life. However, the verse is passive. He was raised. Just as he was was delivered over, he was raised. 
And he was raised by God, by the power of the Spirit. He was raised from the dead. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, and he was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated, same word, righteousness, justification, acquitted. He was acquitted by the Spirit. The scriptures must be fulfilled that the Christ must suffer and die and on the third day be raised from the dead. And he was raised for our justification, raised for our righteousness, raised for our acquittal. But we need to remember, and this is very important, for Paul, when he speaks of the death, he's also going to refer to the resurrection. And when he refers to the resurrection, he's also going to refer to his death. Because they're two sides of the same coin. They are distinct works of Christ, but they cannot be divided or divorced. Both are the grounds for our righteousness before God. God remembered his son's sacrifice on the cross, and he was satisfied with his son's sacrifice, a holy sacrifice unto God, a pleasing sacrifice unto God. He was a sinless Savior who bore the sins of his people, and God looked back, and he saw this perfect sacrifice, and he acquitted his son and raised him from the dead. Jesus obtained righteousness for us by his death and resurrection so that we share in his righteousness that he obtained or acquired for us. In other words, our trespasses were put to death with Christ. And therefore we share in his death. When he was buried, our sins were buried with him. Therefore we were buried with Christ. When Christ was raised from the dead, he was acquitted and vindicated by the Spirit. And because we are in Christ, we have been vindicated and acquitted before God. This is what it means, Christian, to be in Christ. This is what it means to have confidence and peace in your life. To know that your life is hidden with Christ in God. That whatever Christ accomplished for you, you can say it is true of yourself. That when Christ died, you died. When he was raised, you were raised. If he was not delivered over for trespasses, then he was not raised from the, from the dead for our justification and vice versa. And therefore, there would be no meaningful significance of his death. Because he did, if he did not die for trespasses, and God did not vindicate him by the spirits, then we would still be lost in our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's, that's the appeal of the Apostle Paul. Don't let anybody tell you that he wasn't raised from the dead. If he wasn't raised from the dead, you'd still be dead in your sins, and so would I. And the preaching that I'm doing would be nothing but foolishness. 
stupidity, ridiculous, idiocy. That's the extent that Paul goes using such language to describe a preacher who preaches the resurrection from the dead if indeed he was not raised, if indeed he was not crucified for sinners. Both the death of Christ and his resurrection from the dead obtained our righteousness. Notice it says there, and raised for our justification, raised for our righteousness, raised for our acquittal. But the same can be true of his death. Because look with me at chapter 5, verse 9. I'll begin at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, been, we have now been justified by what? By his blood. We have been made righteous by his blood. So what can be said true about the resurrection can be said true about his death. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Saved through his death, saved through his life. Right, made righteous through his death, made righteous through his life. Catechism says, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? The first part of the answer, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he might make us share in the righteousness he obtained for us by his death. Don't overlook how Jesus obtained righteousness for you and me. Without the grounds for our righteousness, all else will be sinking sand. All else would be sinking sand. Lastly, the instrument of faith. Faith as the catechism will say later on, is the instrument or means by which the heart takes hold of the promise. It's the instrument or means by which we take hold of God's promise that rests upon God's grace. We take hold of the promise of forgiveness of sins in Christ, in his death and resurrection. We take hold of the promise of eternal life. Faith is the hand of the heart that receives Christ's righteousness. In verses 23 and 24, Paul says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who what? Who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Like Abraham, it is counted to us as righteousness when we too believe in the promise of God. And for us, it's the promise of the gospel 
in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we too, like Abraham, are acquitted of all charges against us. And even Satan, who seeks to accuse you before God, has no power over you. Has nothing over you. We too, like Abraham, are acquitted of all charges against us when we trust in the Son. Romans 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him in the, from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In the court of God's, in God's courtroom, you will not be put to shame. Because you are found in Christ. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. True faith results in salvation and true peace with God. True faith is that gift of God, friends. Walter Marshall was an English preacher, and he wrote the book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. When he was young, however, he was deeply concerned about the state of his soul. He was distraught by the consciousness of sin and guilt and God's wrath against his sin. And he spoke to the preacher, Thomas Goodwin, Thomas Goodwin said to him this, You have forgotten the greatest sin of all, the sin of unbelief. In refusing to believe in Christ and rely on his atonement and righteousness for your acceptance with God, you are going to be utterly despaired if you forget that. If you forget what Christ has done for you, what he has accomplished for you, when you rely on yourself and not on his atonement and righteousness for your acceptance with God, yes, you will know that guilt. Yes, you will not know peace with God. And so Goodwin reminds this man, Marshall, to trust in Christ. Marshall turned to Christ in faith and enjoyed the blessing of peace and joy of the gospel. Upon conversion, friends, by the power of the Spirit, a person has moved from a condition of eternal condemnation to divine pardon. Hell canceled, heaven gained. You are no longer found in Adam, but you are in Christ. You are no longer unrighteous before God, but righteous before God. And it's all because of Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And know that condition of righteousness, Christ's righteousness, who dwells in the believer. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we... Thank you, O Lord, for the promise of the gospel that rests upon grace and not our works. For we, O Lord, 
need the righteousness of Christ. We, O Lord, cannot represent ourselves. We, O Lord, do not have any righteousness of our own. In fact, as the prophet Isaiah says, our works are like filthy rags. For there is no one righteous, no, not one, says the psalmist. And so we thank you, O Lord, for sending your Son, who was delivered up for our our trespasses and was raised for our justification, raised for our acquittal, so that we now have peace with God. O Father, I pray for any here who believe on your name but who struggle with doubt, who question your forgiving love. May you, O Lord, draw their hearts, their attention, their faith upon the atonement of Christ, upon his righteousness. May you, O Lord, grant them your peace which passes all understanding. O Father, we pray that in this coming week we live our lives in gratitude for this amazing grace. Help us, O Lord, to honor you with our lives, with our minds, with our entire beings, our whole hearts, as we rest not in ourselves, but in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, who obtained for us our justification. 